Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our mini-series in the life of David, and we've entitled this series Modern Day Davids. Modern Day Davids. And uh, we're going to talk about what that really means throughout this series. Our text is also found in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and then verse 17 to 27. We are not doing uh, a study on David's life. We're just picking portions of Scripture and little insights of David and what he did during uh, those, many, those years that he became king. Uh, and all this series really came about after I finished uh, the series on the life of Gideon. And we learned a lot about Gideon, and, and the main focus is that Gideon had a great beginning, but he had a horrific uh, end. And I thought about that while I was on vacation, and I thought about David, and I wanted to glean spiritual truth from David's life and what happened to David, and really see the contrast between David as a leader and Gideon as a leader. And we come to another section this morning where we see a huge contrast between Gideon and David. The reason why we do that, the reason why we bring out characters and we bring the contrast is so we can learn from their lives. So we need to ask ourselves, what can we learn from David's life? What can we learn from Gideon's life? What do we learn about things that take place and experiences we go through because every time we go through an experience we need to learn from it. and so having said that let's look at our text 2nd Samuel chapter 1 verses 1 to 12 and then verses 17 to 27 now it came to pass after the death of Saul that's King Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziglag, it came to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obness or obedience, showed him reverence. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said, Unto him out of the camp of Israel, I escaped. I escaped from that battle. And David said unto him, How went the matter? How did it go? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, Well, that the people are fled. They left the battle. They fled from the battle. And many of the people also that were slain and they died. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, how knowest that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? And the young man that told him said, Oh, as it happened by chance, upon the Mount Gilboa, behold, I leaned and upon his spear, that Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered him, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me and slay me. For anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him, and I slew him. 
because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and bracelet that was upon his arm and have brought them hither to you, to my Lord David. And then David took hold of his clothes and he tore them, rent them. And likewise, all the men that were with him, they followed his example. And they mourned. And they wept and fasted until the evening hour and Saul and Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Verse 17 to 20, verse 17 to 27. And David lamented, verse 18. Also bade them teach the children of Judah to use the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gaboa. Now David gives a prophecy. He's prophesying. And I'll, I'll tell you how I know that. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of the offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, and the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. And in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles and they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. He didn't say weep not. He said weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet with other delights who put on the ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle, O Jonathan? Thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? David is mourning. He's weeping in utter grief and pain. He's weeping over who? He's weeping over his arch enemy who wanted to kill him over and over again. We're studying the life of David and our theme throughout this series is modern day David. How can I learn from David's life and apply it to my life in the year 2022. How can I learn from David? Whom God said, the light of David will not perish. Whom God appointed David to be the man, the lineage, and through his lineage that our Messiah would be born. How can I learn from, from David? Last week we learned something about David, how to treat your enemies when your foe becomes your friend. We learn from David a very important principle 
in modern day David's to bless those that curse us, to love those that betray us. We learned last week that the test of Christianity, watch this now, this is huge. This is so powerful. And this is what David teaches us on the other side of the cross. He could have preached a sermon on the mount. David teaches us that the true test of Christianity is not necessarily loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is a given. We have to love Jesus. We, we can't be Christian without loving Jesus. The true test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. That's the test. We all love Jesus. It's easy to love Jesus. But can you love Judas? That's the test. And we want to continue on that theme because character is revealed through adversity, isn't it? Character is always revealed through adversity. How will you respond? And so our backdrop this morning is that Saul is running from the Philistines. We see this in chapter 31. He's running from the Philistines. Isn't it interesting? It paradoxically is amazing. It was Saul running from the Philistines, but it was David that was running from Saul all those years. And now Saul is running from the Philistines. Whatever you sow, you will reap. So many life lessons. I don't even know what. There's just so many life lessons in our story this morning. But Saul is now running from the Philistines, and he ends up in a place called Mount Gilboa and he doesn't know it that this is going to be his final moment he doesn't know it you know friends we don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen in our lives we don't know what takes place what happens tomorrow Saul had no idea that this would be his last moment but he's on Mount Gilboa very interesting place my first trip to Israel I visited Mount Gilboa. I have a fascination with David and his life. And these stories that we read, learn, and studied all my life, I've preached on the life of David. I've done numerous of series, different series on his life. And I wanted to go to the caves that he visited. I wanted to go to Mount Gilboa, where King Saul committed spiritual suicide and eventually physical suicide. That's the title of my message spiritual suicide but let me say to you that spiritual suicide always takes place first before there's a physical suicide Saul is living a life of hopelessness he's running away from the Philistines he ends up in Mount Galboa and here David at his funeral gives the greatest eulogy in the entire Bible and he prophesies and he prophesies against Mount Gilboa this is where Saul took his life and he kind of curses Mount Gilboa he curses the place where Saul took his life and you know what friends I visited that place history tells us and historians tell us that before it was a lush mountain full of vegetations and flowers and greenery everywhere today it is barren very similar to when Jesus cursed Capernaum. I also visited Capernaum. But it's barren. It was thriving during the time of Jesus. 
barren today. Jesus cursed the place. And David pronounces a curse over Mount Gilboa. And today, if you visit it, it's nothing to behold at all. Isn't that fascinating? Saul is in a place where he sees no hope. It's a terrible thing when you see no hope. It's a terrible place to be in when you feel hopeless. No way out. No exit. You see, friends, the bottom line is this. Your sin will find you out. You can't run away from God. You can't hide from God. Maybe, maybe Saul could have written Psalm 139, perhaps, when David said, Lord, I can't, I can't run from your presence. Where can I go from your presence? If I'm in hell, you're there. If I'm in heaven, you're, if I turn to my right, you're everywhere. Saul, you can't run away from God. You can't run away from your sin. You can't hide from sin. Oh, I know it's not popular to talk about sin today. I know that. I, I know that there's people that don't want to talk about the blood or sin. No, they don't want to deal with that. They just want to tell you how wonderful you are and how blessed you are, how merciful everything is. They don't want to tackle anything that's it's sin. No, no, wait, wait, it's, you just made a mistake. Your sin will find you out. And Saul is at a cool de sac in his life. His sin has found him out. He's got no place to go. He's done everything on his own way. He's done everything his way. He's rejected God. He's rejected Samuel the prophet. He's rejected everything because he wanted to do it his way. I did it my way. And doing it your way, my friends, you will end up in a cul-de-sac as well. When you reject instruction and you reject advice and you don't listen and all you want to do is what you want to do, you'll end up in Mount Gilboa as well. Saul rejected everyone, everybody's advice, and now he's suffering the consequences. He committed spiritual suicide that ended up taking his life. Spiritual suicide is committed when you do everything your way. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, Proverbs tells us, but the ends thereof is death. And he even pretended to repent when David found him out. And David, at another cave, tore a piece of his robe. And when he confronted Saul, he said, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I can't touch the Lord's anointed. Why are you hounding me? Why are you hunting me? I mean no harm to you. And he showed the piece of cloth, his robe. And Saul seemed to be remorseful. And he cried and he said, I'm sorry, you are more righteous than I. But it was all an exterior veneer. It was all a hypocritical expression. There was no depth. It was disingenuous. Tears can be disingenuous. Bible says he cried, but the tears were not pure. Again, we see him deceiving and lying and manipulating. And he even ends up seeing a witch, a witch at Endor in 1 Samuel 20. He goes to see a witch for direction in counsel. This is the king of Israel who was anointed by God. 
goes to see a witch at indoor for direction and counsel. But wait a minute, Saul, have you lost your mind? He banished this witch earlier in his ministry. Now he's going to see her. A dog will always return unto his vomit. Oh, there's so many life lessons. So many parallels. I can just go on and on. And now Saul is returning to his vomit. He goes to seek a witch. Ah, my Christian friend, let's not say, oh my goodness, how many Christians see psychics today? How many Christians read the horoscope today? Oh, don't look. So. How many Christians are seeking the advice of witches and they don't even realize it? Why did Saul do that? Because he's rejected God. He's lost his connection with God. And when you lose your connection with God, you'll do crazy things. Things that don't make sense. You lose your mind. Your focus. The flesh takes over. Does horrible things. He goes to see a witch for direction. Unbelievable. It's exactly what Jeremiah tells us in the 17th chapter. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? When I have people tell me, well, I'm just going to trust my heart. God bless you. Okay. But I don't trust my heart because my heart's wicked. Well, again, you won't hear this today because we're so beautiful. We're wonderful people and we're so nice and loving and you're just such a beautiful. Let me tell you something. My heart is wicked. My heart is wicked. That's what the, I, I, you know, who can know it? Listen, I can deceive myself if I'm not careful. Why do you think the Bible says, be careful in the last days many shall depart, many will be deceived, giving heed to itchy, itchy ears, giving heed to seducing spirits. Uh, they're not standing strong upon doctrine anymore, and they're fading. And, and they, they, they're so, I'm, I'm sincere. I'm, you're, not, you're sincerely wrong. Your heart has deceived you. Can I be honest with you? Please don't tell me I trust my heart. I don't trust my heart. And I don't trust my feelings either. Oh. I know. I know. I know some of you. But it's the truth. I got to trust what the word of God says. I got to put my. I mean. I can't trust in, in my feelings. I can't trust in my emotions. I can't. Because my emotions can misguide me. My feelings can mislead me. I, I can see things and feel things. But they can be contrary to what is really happening. That's why we never make assessments by what we see. Or how we feel. And so. Saul. Is at Mount Galboa. And he's coming to an end. And he's hiding, but there's no place to go. And the inconceivable takes place. The unconscionable takes place. Now, we mentioned Gideon. But like Gideon, Saul has something in common with him. They both had great beginnings. If you remember, Saul was doing fantastically well in the beginning. Until disobedience came in. When Samuel told him, you have to kill all the Amalekites, you can't, the king, everything. And Saul disobeyed the voice of God and kept certain things for himself, didn't listen, and one thing led to another. Listen, small disobedience, if there's such a thing, leads to greater disobedience. It's, it's, it's just inevitable. 
and his disobedience escalated day after day, day after day. He had a great beginning, however, like Gideon. Gideon had a marvelous beginning. He even looked so humble and meek. Me? I'm a mighty man of valor? But look at my beginnings. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh and I'm the smallest in my family. You can't mean me. I don't want to rule over you. I'm a, I don't want to be king, he says, when he conquered the, the Amalekites and the Midianites. I don't thank you very much. I, I don't, oh, but, but give me the gold. I'll take the gold. That's meant for kings. And I'll even call my son Abimelech, which means son of a king. But I don't want to be your king. But I'll just call myself a king. And one thing led to another. And the Bible tells us when he died, he was forgotten. And he caused Israel to sin as he made an idol in the house by the gold that he wanted. What a travesty. Oh, how the mighty have fallen great beginnings but I don't care how great your beginning is it's how you finish the race listen I love to run and I've ran most of my life and my daughter took she was running I, I love I love racing and I'll tell you something and I always you can have a great beginning but let me tell you something that doesn't mean you're going to win the race in fact I've noticed most people who start well who are in first they end up in the fourth or fifth when they because they, they they don't last they exert too much energy being at the head of the race they don't have enough energy to finish. How many people are great starters, but they don't finish well? This is what Gideon teaches us, and this is what Saul is about to teach us. And this is what David is going to teach us, that it's not how well you start. Modern day Davids are good runners. Modern day Davids anticipate things. They prepare. Remember David was prepared in the field. And oh he wasn't anointed to be king. But God prepared David fighting with the bear. And then after he fought with the bear and learned that lesson. He fought with a, a lion. And learned a couple of lessons as he fought the lion that prepared him for Goliath. And guess what? Ultimately, there was a fourth beast in his life and his name was Saul. And for 14 years, God was preparing David through Saul's tyranny. Let me tell you something, friends. God prepares his people with Saul's and with bears and with lions and tigers and snakes. That's how preparation takes place. We don't like it. We want to run from it, but that's just the way it is. In God's university, you are being prepared by the snakes, the souls, the bears, and the lions of this world. Oh, we don't like to hear that. We don't want it. But that's the truth. I got to finish well. Saul said to David, when David showed him love, Saul confessed, he says, David, I'm sorry. 1 Samuel 26, verse 21. I played the fool, he said. That could have been written on Saul's epitaph. I played the fool. He started well, but he played the fool. But David embraced him loved him despite him we learned last week that character is tested 
in two areas and I gave you principles that end not begin that end with T-I-O-N and character is revealed in two different areas in promotion and in persecution your character will be tested when God promotes you how do you succeed in success was one of my messages many people fail in success gets to their head they think they're the cat's meow they think oh, look how great I am look what I did look, and you end up failing in success that's what happened to Gideon that's what happened to King Uzziah that's what happened to King Asa David succeeded in success because he was humble and he gave all the credit to God and his success did not change him your character will be revealed in promotion and in persecution how do you handle your trials most of us look at our trials as our worst enemies you must look at your trials as your best friend because it's your trials and the lions and the bears and the Goliaths that are going to make you what you are you can't be anything or anyone in God without lions bears and souls you won't grow you won't develop you won't learn anything so when a Saul comes against you, instead of trying to run from him, instead of complaining and murmuring, tell him, Lord, how am I going to learn through the Saul experience I'm going? Your character will be tested when you're being blessed and when you're being cursed. <laughs> how do you respond? The Bible says David responded wisely. 1 Samuel 18, 14. There becomes the theme of David. He behaved wisely. He behaved wisely when Saul wanted to kill him, when Saul wanted to promote him. All through life, David behaved wisely. This becomes extremely important. He behaved. Behavior. That speaks of a lifestyle. It wasn't just once. Now David made some mistakes later on. That's another sermon and we're not dealing with that today. But in this context, David behaved wisely. Modern day Davids behave wisely. They behave accordingly. They don't look upon themselves. They don't have their own agendas. They behave wisely. They use wisdom. Wisdom is a gift from God. The Greek word Sophia. Sophia is wisdom. Now Sophia has two elements to it. Sophia is a wisdom that you have that, that God has given you. It's a gift. You can have It's the first. It's a, the Bible speaks of it in 1 Corinthians. The gift of wisdom which comes upon you to give you discernment or understanding what to do at that particular moment. It's a gift it's as the spirit comes upon you as it does in healings or miracles or tongues or whatever you want to all those gifts that you see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 the nine gifts the wisdom is one of them and you can have a supernatural unction of wisdom to know what to do at that particular time in your life it's not knowledge it's knowing what to do you can have lots of knowledge but don't know what to do with it a lot of preachers have a lot of knowledge but that's all it is knowledge puffeth up I don't want knowledge. I want to be able to, to, to behave wisely. I want to be able to do things that bring glory to God. I don't care how smart I am. I don't care how many PhDs I've got. If I can't behave wisely, it means nothing. And so, David behaved wisely in two areas. Through promotion and through persecution. Four times, four times, four times, Samuel, the author of this book, mentions David behaved wisely and today we're going to look at I believe the greatest evidence of David's love and his wisdom that I see 
One of the greatest examples right here in our story. Remember, I'm going to say it again. The true test of Christianity is not loving Jesus, loving Judas. And so let me ask you, can you love Judas in your life? Are you able to love Judas? Your friend that betrays you with a kiss. Saul invited David to his home to marry his daughter, to be part of the family. And now he wants to kill him. Judas was part of the family. The hardest thing is to be able to love family when you know they have betrayed you. Joseph understood all of that when he was betrayed by his brothers. But he behaved wisely. True men of God are able to bless while others curse. That's what sets us apart. And so here is David as we come into the greatest eulogy I've ever heard in my life. This is a eulogy. A glowing eulogy. And I'm going to give you some principles that begin with M. As we look into our text, we discover a few things. Number one, here we are. We see the messenger of Saul's death. We see this Amalekite in verses 1 to 4. Amalekite. Now, underscore Amalekite, it becomes very important, the Amalekite. And you're going to see why in a few moments. Because David does something that seems to be an atrocity. Seems to be uh, inconceivable that he would do it, but he does it. An Amalekite comes out of nowhere, and he brings a message. He's the messenger. And he tells David what happened on Mount Gilboa. But we got a problem because the Bible gives us two accounts. And he says here, he says, uh, well, you know, uh, he's trying to get favor from David. He's trying to get favor. And the Amalekite understood some things that were going on. And he thought it would be, he'd be rewarded because David was just waiting for Saul's death. I mean, why wouldn't he? I know, David, you're next in line. You're, you're supposed to be the king. And, uh, you know, and the, I'm, the Malachite probably thought that David would love to hear this news that King Saul has died. He's dead. This would be great news for any other king that's waiting to take his throne, don't you think? And so we have this messenger, this Amalekite. But notice now the message, verses 5 to 12 the message of Saul's death. And as I mentioned, we have two accounts. We have the account in 1 Samuel chapter 31, and we have the account here in 2 Samuel chapter 1. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, this is God's account of Saul's death. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, we have a fabricated account from this Amalekite. This Amalekite comes and tells a story. It's a fabricated story. It's not what happened, but the Bible records records it because the Bible records the stories that take place and also helps us to understand why David slew this Amalekite. So we have the messenger, the Amalekite brings tidings of Saul's death. We have the message that is fabricated and what is the message that uh, Saul asked me to kill him and so I did. And the Bible records this lie so that we can comprehend what is about to take place. We have the messenger. We have the message. 
And now notice David's mourning over Saul's death, verses 11 and 12. David rents his clothes. It's a, a cultural expression of grief. He, he, he rents his clothes and he begins to fast and, and weep. He fasts for several days. He's weeping. He rents his clothes. And the Bible says his, his friends, his, his servants, they all followed his example. Oh my friends, people are going to, listen, people will follow what you do more than what you say. That's just for free, by the way. If you want to catch it, go ahead. They will follow what you do a lot more than what... More things are caught than taught. David was leading by example now. He rent his clothes. He's mourning. His servants, they, they follow his example. He's grieving over... Over who? Who? Judas! He's weeping over Judas? Over Saul that wanted to kill him? Threw javelins at him? To destroy him? To entrap him? When he told him, I want you to go to the Philistines and I want a hundred foreskins and we know the story brings... He wanted to destroy David in, on every account. And now David is mourning. He rents his clothes. He fasts. You'd think that maybe David would be jumping up and down. My kingdom is mine. Oh, hallelujah. He said, Not at all. The very antithesis takes place and what we see in the modern day David of today, we see modern day Davids doing exactly the same. What do modern day Davids do? It's found in, in Romans chapter 12. Here modern Davids, I'll tell you what modern Davids do. It's found in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll look at verses 19 to 21. Do we see that? 19 to 21, you got that for me? Watch this. Well, I can quote it. Bless those that curse you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. David could have been rejoicing. But no, he weeps. The Bible tells us in Romans, vengeance is the Lord's. The Bible tells us in Isaiah. Paul is quoting Isaiah, the prophet. Vengeance is of the Lord. It's from God. God is the one who executes. Oh, by the way, folks, if you want vengeance and you want to take and do things to get even don't even think of it and I'll tell you why you're not qualified only God can execute vengeance and David here's a life lesson David really believed it he never took it upon himself to get even with Saul wow Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Don't give place, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Say, I, notice, notice, we can't forget this one. I will take care of it. I will do it. Don't you put your hands on it. You're just going to get yourself in deeper trouble. You trust me enough that I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way. You just try, I will, I will repay. I'll take care of it. You just get away. Just don't get involved. You're not qualified. You can't do job like God can do the job. That's God's job. That's not your job. I know what she did to you. I know what he did to you. Leave it with God. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I, leave it with God. But you don't know what he did to Leave it with God. But last week, leave it with God. But she, leave it with God. The point is, 
This is how all of us need to respond. And David responds in three ways. He mourns over Jonathan and Saul. He mourns over the people of the Lord. And he mourns for the house of the Lord, for the ministry, for the reputation of God. He says, tell it not in Gath. Don't publicize this. Don't let this be a spectacle. This is a travesty. What did we learn last week? Rumors give birth to tumors. That's for free. Don't don't publicize this. David is in pain. He doesn't want this to get out because he he feels the, the horror and thy zeal has consumed the zeal of thy house has consumed me. David was concerned about the reputation of God and he understood that this this will cause the enemies of God to mock Saul and God and all of Israel and he says tell it not in Gath don't do it he's concerned so we see the messenger this Amalekite remember Amalekite's important I'm going to tell you why I found a nugget I found a nugget I found a nugget the Amalekite is the messenger we see the message we see the mourning of David he fasts he prays his servants follow his example there's weeping there should be rejoicing but there's weeping notice now the murder yeah I'm saying it, the murder. I'm not saying, Pastor, hold on a second, Dave. It seems pretty, um, you know, extreme, the murder. Well, there was a mandate. You see, I was going to say mandate, but I said murder. However, it is a mandate, and I'm going to tell you why. Notice what happens here. The mandate or murder of this messenger. The message, verse 13 and following, David did not believe this Amalekite's lie. And he does something that seems so cruel. But when you go deeper, are you ready for this? It was really in obedience to God's word. It was really in obedience to God's word. What David did by killing this Amalekite was in obedience. How do I know that? Well, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 19. And I found a nugget. I found a nugget. And I love nuggets. Watch this now. Verse 17. Remember, this is Moses speaking laws. He's giving laws to the children of Israel. Remember what the Amalekites did. What? Remember what the Amalekites did unto thee by the way when ye were forth, come forth out of Egypt. How ye met, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost thee. In other words, what Moses is saying, remember what the Amalekites did. We see this in Exodus, um, Exodus 17. And we see that as, as Israel was, was crossing the wilderness, that the Amalekites were watching and they were picking off the stragglers. Picking off the weak ones, one by one. Bible says remember what they did to you how they picked you off the feeble behind thee that was faint and weary they feared not God watch this here's the mandate therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all the enemies around about it in the land that the Lord thy God has given thee an inheritance to possess it that thou shalt blot out remembrance of Amalek what was the instruction that God gave through Moses as Israel entered into the land of Canaan regarding the enemies? What did God say? Nobody knows? Can I be straight with you? Destroy them all. I know we don't like to hear this, or you don't hear this today much either. That's just the way it is. 
That's just the way it is. Because God knew and knows the debauchery. God knows the kind of people they were. And that they were... And there are some people that are just reprobates, my friends. There are some people that will just not turn to God. They will not repent. They cannot... They, they become reprobates. And God knows it. And I know it's not nice and people don't like to hear this, but it's the truth. And God says, David, the Amalekites, and he tells Moses, they are the most corrupt of all people, and you've got to get rid of them. I know it's hard to digest it, but it's the truth. And David knew this and understands this. And so, when this Amalekite lied for his own personal agenda, his own reasonings, God, he did something that some of us might question. He kills him. He says, how dare you lay hands on the king of Israel? How dare you come to me with your own agenda? You killed the king so you can get favor from me? How dare you do that? Did you not fear God? Did you not fear anything? You come and lie. You come to deceive me. David knew it. And I believe the Spirit of God spoke to him. Yeah, yeah, the Spirit of God would speak even back in the Old Testament. Do you remember many times God said, the Bible says, and God gave them over to the spirit of lies? The Bible says, the spirit of lying? I believe there's a lying spirit. The Bible speaks of lying spirits. And David discerned something. Remember, he behaved wisely. He had discernment. That's right. Modern day Davids have discernment. They just don't believe everything. They don't just say yes of everything. There's discernment. There's discernment. You're able to discern right from wrong. You don't say, yeah, there's a, there's a sense of understanding. And that, that's what's happening today. We've lost, it seems that the church has lost their discernment. We believe everything, anything that's being said, yes, amen. No, let's, what does the Bible say? And I'm telling you, friends, in the last days, deception is going to rise more and more and more, and the elect can be deceived more and more and more. And the reason why we're being deceived is because we don't know the Word of God. We don't know it. First Timothy 4. In the last days. The last days. Perilous time shall come. First Timothy chapter 3. Then chapter 4 tells us. First thing Paul says. There's going to be a great deception. People will not be satisfied with sound doctrine anymore. Is there anything more than this? I mean, okay, I understand. I have friends who have left their faith. Left their faith. Strong believers. Left. Because they couldn't endure sound doctrine. They had itchy ears. Isn't there anything, something else? Is there any new revelation that we can have? There's no new revelation. God can give you insight but there's no new revelation. God can give you an anointing and an unction, but there's no new revelation. It's right here. I don't need a new revelation. I need an anointing. Yes, I need, I need to go deeper with God. Yes, but I, 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 don't, I don't need a new revelation. Otherwise, I'm going to believe like the Mormons that the angel Mormina came to me to give me another Bible. 
That's what Joseph Smith said. Well, the angel Mormina came and gave me this. What angel? The Bible says in Galatians, even if an angel comes and gives you, you don't receive it. Itchy ears! Itchy ears will lead you astray. David was so loyal to Saul, however. How dare you touch the Lord's anointed? 1 Samuel 26, 8 to 23. David has a chance again to kill Saul. I don't have time to expand the story. Twice David could have killed Saul. Again, Saul, I had a chance to kill you, but I didn't. I didn't twice. And then Saul realizes it. Oh, I'm so evil. I'm sorry, David. You're righteous. You're more righteous than me. Again, again, Saul seems to repent, but he doesn't repent. It's all an exterior veneer. But here is where we see the greatness of David. What do we see this morning? The message that Saul is dead by the Amalekite. The messenger, the Amalekite, comes and tells him who and what took place. The mourning of David. David mourns and fasts over the death of, of Saul. The mandate to blot out this Amalekite. To kill him. To, de- to get rid of, of deception and lies and deceit. And then number five. Notice the memory of Saul and Jonathan. Verse 17. The memory of Saul. Saul and Jonathan. This is a funeral poem, a eulogy, the greatest eulogy in the Bible, a poem of David. It's called also the Song of the Bow, verse 18. It's a funeral poem, if you will. And notice the book of Jasher. Interesting, the book of Jasher. What does the Bible say? The book, that's, that, what the, is that biblical? Is there, I, I can't find the book of Jasher. The book of Jasher was an extra biblical book during the time of David. The book of Jasher Uh, were poems and also historical accounts of the campaign of Joshua. So Joshua's campaign was recorded in the book of Jasher and also the book of Jasher with poem and poetry would also record the original experiences of David. Really talking about David in his ascension. And that was it. After that, you you can't find the book of Jasher. But it was in existence during the time. That's an historical fact. And this is what is being referred to. The book of Jasher spoke of David. It's an extra biblical book. Is it the Bible? No. But it's just a historical account. And the Bible records this particular book. A history book, if you will. And so let's get a glimpse of this eulogy. We're coming to a close in a few. But just to, I, w- I want you to see how powerful this eulogy is. I'll give you some principles that begin with R. As we wind down, notice please David's regret, verses 19 to 20. A regret for the Philistines' victory over Saul. David is concerned about the reputation of God. You see, you see, friends, he feared the fact that the news of Saul's death would be a cause of rallying for the enemies against God, and it destroyed him, and it was painful to David. Let me ask you something. Do you feel pain when? When God is ridiculed. I remember my brother-in-law was on a bus. He told me a story. And he had this lady beside him just start swearing and took the Lord's name in vain. And my brother-in-law had the gumption to look at her. He says, excuse me, ma'am. What has Jesus ever done to you? What? I don't know about you, but I, I, I just feel like when someone starts swearing, taking the name, or, or, or mocking God, I just can't stand still. I don't know about you. David! felt the pain of that 
Number two, notice the repetition of Saul's earlier victories, verses 21 and 22. These are words expressing how God used Saul and Jonathan in their glory days. And David looks back at Saul and he remembers the great things that he does and he prophesies and he gives a prophetic word about Mount Gilboa and that's when he curses Mount Gilboa. And Mount Gilboa was never the same ever since. We see the repetition of Saul. He's lifting up Saul in this eulogy. This is his enemy. Modern day Davids lift up people while others bring them down. Modern day Davids try to encourage people while others bring people down. You see, you see, he's lifting up Saul. This is his enemy. He's remembering what he's done. He cares about the reputation of God. And then notice the relationship between Saul and Jonathan, verse 23 and following. He loves Saul, especially Jonathan. Jonathan and what does the Bible say to love your enemies David there's there anybody that loved their enemies it was David you know David was always careful not to become a wedge between Jonathan and his father between Jonathan and his father was a huge thing for David you see Jonathan could have been jealous of David could have been intimidated of David David understood that Jonathan loved David as a brother and now David remembers the relationship between Saul and his son, Jonathan. He talks about him. I wish I can expand more. David saying these were times that Saul and Jonathan were divided. There were problems because of David. Jonathan wanted to support David. And of course Saul wanted to kill him again and again and again. And Jonathan supported David. And David never forgot that. Even to the point that, that they wanted to kill each other. David never forgot that. However, he mentions now, now they die together. Both son and, son and father. And we see the tenderness. We see David's tenderness. We see his heart his love is broken, his best friend has died, and now the king is dead. To David, it was still the Lord's anointed. Modern day David's respect leadership. Oh, I don't want to get that one. That's another sermon, I won't go there. I didn't say agree respect I didn't say to comply I said respect David had respect he had honor modern day David's give honor to the office that God has called whoever to Notice number four, the remorse of Israel's women. We see regret, repetition, relationship. Notice verse 24. David is speaking to the women who were singing a song. Saul has slain his thousands. Doesn't even think about himself. Yeah, don't you remember, David, that they said you killed your ten thousands? David doesn't even care about what he did. He focuses on Saul. Modern day Davids lift up others. The modern day Davids don't pat themselves on the back. Oh, look what you did. Didn't Jesus? Modern day Davids live what Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. David is preaching the Sermon on the Mount before the birth of Christ. Wow. Saul slain the thousands. You see, David is, is humble. 
Look at Saul. He gave you so much. You benefited from his life. Look what he did for you. And we see that David was full of humility. 1 Samuel 18, 18. 1 Samuel 24, 8 to 14. We see his humility. And then David remembers, watch this now, his love for his best friend. And I get some of these skeptics and these liberal theologians that try to obliterate and, and pollute. And, and they, call, they, they, they said, well, David is just expressing his relationship with Jonathan because David, you know, he was uh, maybe a little bit like that. How dis... What? He remembers his love for Jonathan, verse 25 to 27. This is an intimate moment of a dear friend. Some people have the audacity to use it and demonstrate the fact that his relationship was not wholesome. (laughs) No, my friends. His love better than a woman that's what the Bible says, is love, what? So David must have had affection for Jonathan in an in a unhealthy way. Maybe he was gay. Are you kidding me? Like really? Really? David, my friend, had deep love for Jonathan because he never had that male connection. His brothers hated him. His brothers were jealous of him wanted to kill him too. He had a father who didn't even regard him, who put him to clean the sheep, never even elevated him, never even considered him. When Samuel came to, a ne- to anoint the next king and went, to Sa- and went to Jesse's house to anoint the next king, he brought forth seven sons and Samuel said, wait a minute, the Spirit of God is speaking to me. Do you have another son? Samuel didn't know. And then Jesse said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got another son, but he's not really, you know, he's cleaning the sheep. Bring him to me. His father couldn't care less about David. We don't know why. Maybe he had an illicit relationship. Some scholars say that. I don't know why. Who cares? A father's a father. You don't treat your children like that. David had been rejected over and over again through male leadership. Male roles. He had no friends. Jonathan was the only male that ever showed him any kind of friendship. That's what you see in this eulogy. That's it! So I speak to you, Mr. Liberal Theologian, who has the audacity to say that he had a gay... That's... I got a good Greek word for you if you're ready. It's called what? Hogwash. That's what it is right there. Look it up in the Greek. Actually, I got a deeper word. I won't touch that one. It's not in the Greek, it's in the English, and I won't say it. But he's never had any friends, David, believe it or not. It's hard to imagine. You know, he learned everything alone. People loved him, but he learned everything alone. He was rejected. And the Bible says in Proverbs 18, a friend sticketh closer than a brother. He understood that. See, friends, if you got a friend like that, a friend like Jonathan, you are blessed indeed. Proverbs 27, I love this. I got another nugget. Verse 9, are you ready for this? Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend. Here's David's son, Solomon, saying the sweetness of a man's friend. David is mourning his friend. 
That's all. You love them like a brother. That's all it is. Now, interesting, there's two things missing from this eulogy. There are two important things that are missing in this eulogy that it behooves me to tell you. I have to. Two things. There's no mention of Saul's faults. You don't see any mentions of Saul's faults. David could have written a whole chapter on him dodging javelins, running for his life, being lied and deceived, Saul killing all these men on David's account. He could have written uh, 10 chapters. Why? Because modern day Davids do this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells me, Charity suffers long, is kind. Charity envieth not, vaunteth not itself, doesn't puff up, doth not behave unseemingly with wisdom, seeketh not his own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. David could have written 1 Corinthians chapter 13. David is a New Testament writer, it seems. I don't know. Way above his time. Beyond his time. He's blessing those who've cursed him. He's lifting up. The Bible tells us that love covereth a multitude of. You see, friends, are you ready for a life lesson? Here it is. Once you enter into a deep level of God's love, the things that used to bother you don't bother you anymore. I gotta say that. When you enter into that deep intimacy with God, those little petty things that bother you, I usually, that just don't bother you anymore. You don't keep record of them. Oh, but you remember what you did. And every husband and wife say amen. <laughs> yeah, honey, I know, but you know, last year, you remember? Yeah, but you know, two weeks ago. Ah, there's no mention of his fault. Ah, but there's also, David's also honest. He's not a liar. There's no mention of Saul's piety either. There's no mention of Paul's pi- Saul's piety. There's no mention of his holiness, of his righteousness. He never mentions that. He's honest. He's not going to deceive No mention of his faults and no mention of his piety. There's none. So what does this say about David? David lamented when he could have been rejoicing. You see that? It's a life lesson. What we learn about David's life is that I must commit myself in being faithful to God's leadership even if I don't agree. I know this is hard. And I've had to struggle with this myself, but I've, I've experienced it in a particular church I was at. It was very difficult. But David teaches us this. Because David understood it's whom God allows to lead is the Lord's anointed, whether I agree with him or not. To rule or reign, that's God's decision. First Samuel 24 tells us this. You see, here it is. You can't, are you ready for the life lesson? You can't be in authority till you learn to submit under authority. 
You can't submit under authority. Don't expect to be a great leader. Every great leader from God has learned to submit under authority first. And that's the problem today. Very little submission because everybody's an armchair pastor. Everybody knows better than the pastor, better than the leader. Everybody has their opinion. And if I was the pastor, oh yeah, if I was the pastor, can you imagine if, if I had a record of people who said if I was the pastor? Maybe if you had, it's unbelievable. You always think you can do it better if you were the pastor or if you were the this and if you were that leader, if you were the Sunday school. The, we always seem to say that, don't we? And I'm not saying you're wrong. Maybe you would be. It's the spirit behind what's being said that I'm talking about. You will never be an authority. True authority. Not man-made manipulated authority. There are some pastors that are pastoring. It's not because of God. It's because they manipulated their way to the top. I'm not talking. And that can happen too. And what do you do when you see, and you're in that situation? That's another sermon. I can't go there this morning. But David learned to submit. David had a chance to avenge himself over and over again, but he didn't. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Was Saul anointed? Well, he was originally. He lost the anointing. Well, Pastor, can you lose your salvation? Can you lose the anointing? You can lose your anointing. We see it here. Saul was anointed. Not anointed anymore. Because of his choices, his rebellion, his disobedience. You can lose something that you've had. And David said, I know what Saul is, but I'm not going to touch him because God called him. May have lost the anointing, but he was still God's man. And what this reveals to me is that David had humility and integrity and respect. It's about your attitude. You see, friends, it's always about your attitude. At the end of the day, that's what God's concerned about. This is what David teaches us. David said, I don't care what he does. I will follow the leader that God has set over me until God says it's over. David stayed true with Saul when 99% of us would have forsaken him. David was loyal. Oh, there's a word we don't hear. I talked about this last week. David was loyal and he trusted. Watch this now. Here's the key. I know some of you, he trusted that God was going to remove Saul if he needed to in his timing. David never took the opportunity to remove Saul. He knew this was God's business. That's humility. That's trust. That's faith. Wow. Wow. David was loyal. Titus chapter 2, verse 10 says, chapter 2, verse 10, I don't think I gave you that scripture, George. I forgot to give it to you. But let me read it right here. Titus chapter 2. We talked about this last week. It says here, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of Christ. Fidelity is a French word, fidèle, which means to be loyal. It's written in the present participle. Keep on being loyal, despite circumstances. 
loyalty, loyalty. Talking about having a sensitive and respectful spirit for the office that God has called that person. You respect him for the office, not for him and what he does, for the office. God called, that's the office. I will respect that office. I will respect that office. Saul gave David every opportunity to leave, but he never did. Ultimately, David teaches us that I must commit myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is crucial. David understood that promotion comes from the Lord. Psalm 75, promotion comes from the Lord. Doesn't come from me, doesn't come from my intelligence, doesn't come from, 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 from the pastor, doesn't come from the board member. Doesn't, promotion comes from the Lord. Doesn't come from the president, that, because God sets the presidents. It comes from God. God is the one who sets up and brings down. David understood that. He understood that promotion, all promotion comes from God, and I'm going to leave everything to God. David never took God's call for his own agenda and for his own purposes he never had an agenda David could have killed Saul over and over again and watch this David could if you will and Abraham could have taken a lesson from David Abraham could have learned something from David David never said quote unquote I'm going to just help God along the way because ultimately I'm the anointed one am I not I was the one that was anointed really truly so I'm just going to help God and I'm going to kill Saul to facilitate it so I can get there quicker. After all, I'm going to be in God's will because, because I'm the anointed one. Saul's backslidden. He's gone. I'm called. So let me just get rid of Saul to, to, to help the process so I can get there a little quicker. You know why Abraham went south to Egypt and met this concubine Hagar? He was trying to help God with the process because God told him that you're going to be a father of many and I know you're barren, your wife is barren rather, you're not able to, so, I'm, so Abraham's thinking, well my wife's barren, I'm old, I don't know how much time I got left, my wife is, maybe I'll help God a little bit, maybe I'll get a concubine and have a son through her. That's what Abraham did, he tried to help God in the process and we know that was one of the biggest mistakes in all of the Bible, we are still suffering from that mistake. As great as Abraham was, he didn't have faith enough to believe that the baby will come through Sarah, your barren wife. No! David trusted God despite Saul. Because of his humility, he understood. Even his own men advised him to kill Saul. Even his own men, David, kill Saul, you're the king. David wouldn't do it. Can you imagine that? The pressure. He wouldn't do it. He's trusting in God, believing in God. He understood Isaiah 64, 4, one of my favorite scriptures. They that wait on the Lord, watch this now. The Lord works on behalf of those who wait upon him. The Lord works on behalf of those who wait upon him. Isaiah 64, 4. Not those who manipulate. Not those who are strong in their own eyes. Not those who got PhDs. Those who wait. My God, what's happened to that today? The point is, David understood that God is in control. Psalm 31, my times are in your hand, Lord. You're in control. My time, my life is in your hand. 
Psalm 37, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a righteous man, all the good steps and all the bad steps. All the good steps and all the bad steps. It's not only the righteous steps or the good steps. The steps of a righteous man, all the steps, good and bad, are what? Ordered by the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. Every, David understood that God is in control despite Saul. And you can fill in the blank what your soul is. Yeah, but you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know what I'm going through at work. If only you understood. God is in control of every soul. But if we have a modern day spirit to trust the God of heaven and earth, when someone throws a javelin at you, when someone wants to kill you, are you still able to say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground, all other ground, I'm going to trust that. I'm not going to lead me to that rock that is high. My heart is overwhelmed within me. Lead me to that rock. Lead me. Lord, I'm not going to take it about my own hands. I'm not going to execute vengeance. I'm not going to rejoice with those who are weeping. I'm not going to throw javelins at those who have thrown javelins at me. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you. If I can't trace you, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you because you are one who's going to plead my cause. Psalm 35. You are the one who's my, you're my advocate. You're the one that pleads for me. You're the one one that guides me you're the one that instructs me you're the one that leads me you're the one that protects me you're the one that moves me so who am I to try to interfere who am I huh just thought of something how powerful is that eh I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, God speaking to the church of Philadelphia, that no man can shut. For thou hast little strength, David, thou hast kept my word, David, and hast not denied my name. David! I know this door seems pretty grim, but, but nobody's going to shut it and nobody's going to open it but me. Because you've kept my word, David, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bless you. You trusted in me when Saul wanted to kill you, and you trusted in my word. I am going to promote you, David. And he did. You see, it's all about his leading and his timing. And we see David's vindication in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. God vindicates David. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. He always inquired. He always prayed. It's the first ingredient to any kind of success. He inquired, inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whether shall I go up? And he said unto Hebron. So David went up to, with his two wives, he went up, and his men were with him. Every man his household, and he went up, and the men of Judah anointed David king. Oh, the time has come, David. The time has come. You suffered a lot, David. Fourteen years, you ran like a fugitive. You suffered the tyranny of Saul, but you behaved wisely, David. 
You never threw a javelin at him. You blessed him when he cursed you. You loved him when he hated you. Modern day Davids do the very opposite that the world does. God promoted him. It's time now, David, for you to be king. David, all these years I was just preparing you. All those years, I know it was hard. The cave of Ajulam, the cave of Engedi, the spears, the javelins, the death, the heat in the wilderness, the mockery, the deception. Your wife, Michal, tried to deceive you, one pain after another. But David, I took my time with you because I have something special for you. And nothing of virtue comes overnight. It takes time to marinate. Time to ruminate. To be the man that God has called you to be. Huh. That's God's university. The desert is where David learned the greatest life lessons. In the desert, where his caves became his castles. In the desert is where he found water. In the desert he found life. And so will you, my friend. If your heart is right, and you trust in God, so important to trust him when you're in the desert, so important to trust him when you don't see maybe the answer to your prayers and this is where I need to listen to myself I get discouraged sometimes to trust him that God has a plan for you and so we need to ask Lord is this your time in my life is this your place speak Lord for thy servant hear it speak Lord for thy servant hear it never take things in your own hands Never take things in your own hands. Put them in His. Because He's got the whole world in His hands. He's got the whole. In His hands, He's got the whole. In His hands, He's got the whole. We stand, please. Every head bow just for a moment. Every David and Davidette. will have promises made and even God speaking to you that you have not seen come to pass yet. That's just reality. Every David has a Saul. Every David will experience deception and lies. Every David will go through fear and persecution. If you haven't, you're not a David. David did something that sets him apart. 
He behaved wisely through it all because his trust was in God. What about you, my friend? Where are you at today? Are you trying to manipulate things and force things, try to get even, vindictive? Are you throwing javelins at those who've thrown javelins at you? Are you trusting that God's going to make a way even if you don't see it, even if you don't hear it, even if you don't feel it? Even when I don't see that you're working, even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop. He never stops working. He never stops. He never stops working. Even when I don't see that you're working, David could have said that for 14 years. Even when I don't feel that you're working, every time he was betrayed, broken and bruised, he never stops. He never stops working. Do you believe that? When God is silent? When you can't trace Him? Here's my next T. Can you trust Him? That's what makes you a David. When someone comes against you and you're tempted to, to put up your dukes and duke it out, can you put down your javelin and bless that person? Who's hurt you? Can you honestly pray for those that are hurting you? This is what David teaches us. I know it's not easy. But if you want to make a difference in this world, that's something you need to do. And you can't make a difference with indifference. David was never indifferent about anything. How about you? Every head bowed just for a moment. If you have ought against anybody, I don't care who it is, if you're in a situation that you have ought against somebody, a family member, a leader, a co-worker, you're tempted to pick up that javelin if you're in a situation that your enemy has fallen or something has happened to him or her and, and, and you're tempted to to rejoice but God's saying no 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 begin to weep begin to weep if you're in a situation this morning find yourself running from something fear fear is causing you to run like Saul you haven't made it right and you're running and you enter and you you find yourself at Mount Gilboa no place to go I'm talking to people on Facebook this morning I'm talking to people on YouTube I wish you were here why are you staying home why are you staying home? You've got nothing to fear. What are you fearing for? Fear. Fear will always cause you to end up in Mount Gilboa. Always.
want you to make it right. Next time you speak to David, show truth and honesty. Don't be disingenuous. Don't be disingenuous. Speak the truth and be honest and sincere. Don't say things you don't mean. Be honest and sincere. That's what David teaches us. I don't know where you are today. But I believe some people need to put down their javelins. In this room. That's right. I'm not talking to people on I'm talking about people in this room. We're going to sing a chorus and I'm going to pray. As we sing this chorus, because Pastor Josh always brings a good one. I want you to, to do what we heard yesterday, Brother Rick. I want you to look in the mirror. Face the mirror. Say, Lord, is there something that I see? This man, this woman that I see, is there something in me that, that needs to change? No, 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 not Saul. I know Saul's got problems, but me. I'm going to keep pointing my finger at Saul all the time. Me. Me. Is there something in me that needs to change?